0: Thank you for checking out the GNH podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's public school board is bringing back masks. You'll see more police officers on Hamilton streets. Find out why fire chiefs are sounding the alarm. Does the Ford government have a plan for overcrowded children's hospitals? Give the gift of R&R this holiday season and a Canadian women's soccer league is going to be a reality. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: There's a lot of people getting sick this year, uh, perhaps because we all uh, were so diligent about being safe uh, over the past couple of years of wearing masks, uh, that uh, we need to step up again and make sure that everyone's doing everything they can uh, to keep their families, uh, their loved ones and their communities safe. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau considering uh, saying that you should consider the advice of public health authorities when it comes to wearing masks indoors. The public board going a step further to implement or issue this masking policy. Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Don, good
2: morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: Take us back to Monday night in what was a heated meeting at the local board office.
2: Well, uh, we had masking information coming forward from staff, a big presentation uh, based on a, a previous motion about uh, trying to require students and staff to wear masks in schools. Uh, that that previous motion had shifted to asking everyone to wear masks because what we recognized is that we've had asked people to think about masking very differently over the past few months. Um, you know, we shifted from wear to protect yourself and others to only wear a mask if you're sick or recovering from an illness. And now we, we see clearly from the Chief Medical Officer of Health that it is rec- re- strongly recommended that masks are worn indoors. And, and we're not seeing that uptake in schools. So we started with an ask. We did see a small uptick in the people wearing masks in schools. Um, and then we proceeded with a discussion and uh, a debate around a possible mandate that would require exemptions and shifted really to this universal masking policy for setting expectations that people will wear masks indoors in our schools temporarily over the next few weeks while we get through this respiratory illness crisis that's impacting our hospitals and younger people. Um, And really, it's, it's setting expectations, but there is the option to opt out. So I would not call it a mandate.
0: So it's not a mandate students or their or their parents would have to say, hey, school A, B or C, I want my child to not wear a mask or or yes, they will wear a mask. Is that how it works?
2: Well, staff are just working through the details on how they're going to operationalize this. Um, and so we will we do expect communication to go to families this week um, so that there's some clarity around you know, what do you have to do to opt out in the spring when we did extend the mask mandate, a little bit of a different situation, um, you know, we had some people refusing to fill out a form. Um, We want to make sure that this is done in a supportive and uh, non-punitive way so that we preserve a positive culture uh, at our schools. We we don't want to turn this into a divisive debate in our schools. Uh, We really want to make sure that Those that are wearing masks are encouraged to do so and supported doing so. And those that cannot wear a mask or are choosing not to wear a mask are also respected in our schools.
0: Because this is such a divisive issue, is the expectation that most students will wear masks?
2: I would say our hope is that most students will wear masks. And we we understand that part of our job is to communicate the why. Why are we asking you to wear a mask? Because when we educate people and let them know that we have vulnerable students and staff in our schools, and right now with respiratory illnesses running rampant, uh, you know, our hospitals are impacted, particularly our pediatric hospitals, impacting people accessing care. If you could wear a mask for a few weeks and you could help protect another student and also protect yourself while you're at it, could you do it? Most people would say yes. Um, but I think that message has not gotten through uh, through the public health recommendations that the why hasn't really landed with people. So part of our our job is going to be communicating the why and and really encouraging making masks available and modeling it uh, through our staff.
0: Don Denko is the chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're chatting about uh, the local public board being the first in Ontario to issue this temporary indoor masking policy. That word temporary obviously means there's an end date. What is the timeline for this?
2: So, right now, we will be revisiting this uh, at our first board meeting in January. so early january. um really we're we're looking at the next two weeks before the holiday break, um, and then uh, students are off until uh, early January. So really, it's a couple of weeks. We will relook at you know how our hospitals doing, what are the the levels of illness in our community that we, we can have an impact on with masking and other health and safety measures, and we can renew at that time. But if we don't renew, then it would be finished at that time.
0: We know what's going on in this community and many other communities. Flu seasons here, RSV forcing many kids into pediatric hospitals. COVID-19 is obviously still around. Is the local public school board seeing an increase in student absences this fall compared to past years?
2: We did have some data on that. that it's not always easy to compare um, depending on how that's collected but yes we are seeing an increase um, certainly right now compared to last year and we're seeing a small increase in staff absences it's sometimes hard to see that the the overall impact until we get past a period of time so we're, we're we're observing in classes, um, you know, in situations where half the class is away. And, you know, we're hearing from families and students that it has a real impact on them when they're missing a week of learning, because oftentimes when people are getting sick, it's not for a day or two, they're, they're off for a week.
0: Uh, these absences, I would not not the comparables, but what we're seeing right now, the real data coming in, I would assume that you're a little worried about this.
2: Well, absolutely. We know that over the past two years we've had so many disruptions to learning for students um, and so we want to minimize that because we are really focused on learning recovery right now and that means we need our kids in schools. Um, But we're also just worried about having a safe and inclusive environment for those students whose families are thinking they have risk factors that could really um, mean they have serious consequences if they get RSV or if they get a respiratory illness. And and they're really concerned about can I send my my child to school when other people are not masking right now. Um, I think part of it is just really making sure that we're providing that safe, inclusive environment for everyone. And again, uh, we want to be respectful, um, whether you choose to wear a mask or not, and have that positive culture in our schools maintained.
0: Don, thanks for the time. Let's hope uh, most, if not all, of our students can stay healthy this uh, fall and winter. Thank you again. Thank you, Rick. Don Denko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. More details on this story online at 900CHML.com.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: You've heard over the last well, number of days about violent crimes in the community, many of them involving firearms. And so following a week of increasing violence in Hamilton, the city's police chief is uh, wanting to do more. And we're going to find out what that more means uh, right now with the Hamilton Police Chief, Frank Bergen, who joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Chief Bergen, good morning. How are you?
3: Hey, good morning, Rick. I I really appreciate this opportunity and what what more fitting time to do it because you're doing that poll right now, which is your favorite Christmas carol. And I could tell you, silent night is something that we all should want in this city because we're having far too much violence going on. And, And right now, the proliferation of guns on our streets is not acceptable, and we need to have this conversation.
0: Where is your level of concern at right now? It, it's
3: it's where it's above normal, there, Rick. And, and the reality is that's why we're we're actually having this conversation. And, and I can tell you, the trend is not good. Uh, we can sit back and we can we can falsely celebrate the fact that we're at a historic low for homicides. We're at four but but our shootings are at 41 uh, we've had a 24 percent increase since the end of november uh, shootings and shootings and shootings, stabbings uh... what's going on like uh, this is the time of the year that when people are looking at gathering around you know for a festive meal or gathering around a tree or or looking at something focus on food banks focus on helping people not on arming yourself and i don't understand what's going on but it seems our, our last uh, few months we've had eighteen guns taken out of just routine traffic stops. Rick, and the reality is there seems to be this malaise or some type of thing going on right now that people need to arm themselves and and instead of doing community work they're they're looking after their own self and and looking for fights so we got we got to talk about this, Rick,
0: as you mentioned, the number of shootings in Hamilton have jumped twenty four percent year over year at this time. Is it the drug culture? Is it the gang-related activity? Can we pinpoint one particular group that's responsible for this?
3: Hey, Rick, I think you're uh, circling around exactly where it needs to be, and you know the success we had last year going into stopping retaliations on neighborhood gangs, Project Strong. Uh, Right now, uh, these people are picking fights with each other. These are the ones that you see that are the shootings into homes, These are the, I I can get you, I I know where you are type of things, and we're seeing that. Uh, But we're also seeing the one-on-ones. Right now we're in a trend where we've had four uh, marijuana dispensaries that have been robbed, three males going in brandishing guns and uh, taking away profit and uh, taking away product. Uh, So drugs, yeah, Rick, they're underlying motive, and and in many cases that can be the turf war between gangs. Uh, But, yeah, the, the drug culture and what we see in the spike of opioids deaths and fentanyl on our streets certainly is what we're seeing in the GTHA. Uh, 57 guns seized over the the last little project in Toronto. A 21-year-old female shot in a gas station in Peel. Uh, No one is immune to this, but it's certainly something that with our community, we need our community, we need our families to start having these conversations. Uh, it seems that these suspects and these uh, young young people want to post their picture on Facebook or on Instagram with the gun, and maybe that gives them some type of cachet in the community, but someone's got to speak up. That's just not acceptable.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Hamilton Police Chief Frank Bergen. We're talking about the recent rash of violence in this community. So what's the plan? What is Hamilton Police doing to tackle this rise in gun-related crimes and, and violent crimes?
3: Oh, well, the cupboard's starting to get bare there, Rick. And the reality is, our resources. In the last few months, we've actually had to reallocate resources to the front line. Uh, we are we are struggling with staffing, like everybody else is in policing. Um, the crime rate is increasing. Uh, Rick, we're 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 growing every day. The amount of nine one one calls that our members are uh, are handling. Their their tenacity, their attention to detail is incredible. I, I want to start by saying thank you to our members, the men and women of this organization that keep us safe in this community Uh, but we're going to have to again go back to that drawing board if you will and and we have many things many initiatives uh, looking at fugitives and making a bail and and making sure that we're checking on them we'll continue to concentrate every crime is analyzed we're we're looking at the statistics we see the similarities and everything so we're doing that now uh, but we're also having those conversations okay how can we go more surgically? What, what else can we do uh, beyond the many incredible things our members are doing every day?
0: Dedicating uh, more resources to this problem, is it going to be done covertly or more in an obvious sense to say, hey, look, police are in our neighborhood?
3: Yeah, the obvious sense, um, Rick, that we've done is that we've actually um, shored up the staffing so that our community will see uh, an increased presence. Uh, you're probably aware as well that our traffic fatalities are really, uh, you know, requiring a lot of attention. So therefore, our our presence in intersections, our presence along the, you know, the Red Hill and the Link, and and what we're seeing in that area. So there should be a heightened awareness. Our ride program is kicked off. So again, our ride programs. The byproduct of a ride program is not just the community education about drinking and driving but that's also we're getting during a traffic stop we're getting loaded firearms we're we're getting that ability to have those conversations uh you know on the roadway and and that's one way to you know of intervention if you will so yeah that i i can answer it in that you're going to see the covert methods always occur we always have things going on and those are with partnerships in the policing community where we are talking and tracing where guns are coming from. Yeah, that's ever-present, but right now you're probably going to see all resources available will be deployed to the front line to try to mitigate this uh, growing trend. We
0: have 90 more seconds with Hamilton Police Chief Frank Bergen here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You mentioned Project Barbell in Toronto took 62 firearms off the streets. Uh, Only one gun originated in Ontario. The rest of them traced back to the U.S., The question is, is enough being done at the border to stop these gun smugglers?
3: The Ontario Association Chiefs of Police, which I'm part of, uh, have these conversations. We have amazing uh, partners at federal, provincial, and, and the local levels of the police. We have these conversations. But when you're talking about the actual movement or the, the, the transit of these guns, we are absolutely within that corridor, within the Golden Horseshoe. Hamilton is not immune to that, so we'll continue. So my final message to everybody is that as we're coming into this Christmas season, your poll suggested that there is more likely. A a chance for people to be gathering, to be meeting around the tree or at the Christmas table. Let's not meet in a funeral home. Let, let's not meet in a morgue. Let's have these conversations. Let's everybody pay attention to what's going on. And if you see something, say something.
0: Chief Bergen, thanks for the time today and thanks for keeping our community safe.
3: Thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to speaking to you again, and happy holidays, everyone. Same to you.
0: Hamilton Police Chief Frank Bergen joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: The Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs is sounding the alarm. Why? Well, they've checked out the latest census data, and it reveals, among many things, a serious shortage of firefighters in this country. That is obviously a big concern. Dave Cunliffe is the fire chief with the Hamilton Fire Department and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Chief Cunliff, good morning. How are you?
4: Good morning, Rick. I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm good. Give us a, a picture of the situation at Hamilton fire halls and, and those across the province or even across the country.
4: Sure. So, um, as you mentioned, the Canadian Associ- Association of Fire Chiefs did a survey in 2022. There's over 3,200 fire departments across the country, and they got responses from 629, and they did identify some issues. Um, but I got to tell you that the situation in Hampton is, is really different than some of the results that are being seen in this survey. So, You know, they're talking about um, challenges about firefighters, and certainly from a full-time perspective, we don't have any challenge in terms of recruitment of firefighters. We have lots of folks that are are interested in becoming full-time firefighters with the City of Hamilton. Uh, In terms of volunteer firefighters, we are seeing some challenge, and that's not not anything different than across the country. Uh, We have uh, a number of our stations are manned by uh, volunteer firefighters, especially in our rural areas. And... Given the uh, challenges that folks have in their lives, it's a real commitment to become a volunteer firefighter because uh, they're trained at the same level as a full-time firefighter. They do the job tasks the same as a full-time firefighter, yet they have, they're have they doing it while they're uh, going about their daily lives. So whether they're at work or at home uh, doing things with their families or out and doing things... When they get notified that there's a, a fire and they need to respond or an emergency call, then they have to pretty much drop what they're doing and leave. So it is challenging, but we, we are working with uh, not only the city's HR department, but also the local stations, uh, volunteers themselves to develop targeted um, type of approaches within each of the, the various communities. So so that that's a little different than what we're hearing across the country. The other thing, uh, Rick, which is really interesting is that uh, across the country, 41% of the fire departments say that they've had some issues in terms of uh, from their municipal councils to defer training and and new equipment. That's certainly not the case here in Hamilton. Um, The the city council over the years has done just an amazing job in terms of supporting the fire department. Uh, we're up to date in terms of our equipment and our apparatus, and there has been no, um, n- nothing in terms of reduction for training. Um, councils recognize the importance of, of, a, of a solid and, and sustainable fire department to make sure that our residents are safe.
0: Another uh, key tidbit out of this survey revolved around first responder mental health. How are you doing in that regard?
4: Well, interestingly enough, um, so 25 years ago, uh, after uh, a which uh, certainly uh, rocked the city and and rocked the firefighting world. Uh, not only in the province of Ontario, but across the country. Uh, City Council made a commitment to the firefighters, uh, a 25-year commitment, and that commitment uh, just uh, came up uh, last year, and that was to develop an occupational health uh, uh, program for firefighters, so basically a screening program uh, to ensure that uh, it helps for early detection and treatment of both of, uh, mental health and, and physical um, uh, health issues. And we got, uh, last year we went to council and uh, got another 25-year commitment from the city to continue the program. And so, uh, in, in many ways, we're, we're very fortunate. Um, you know, the, the health and wellness of uh, all of our staff uh, is extremely important, and uh, council has recognized that. And we're continuing with uh, really what's one of the leading programs across the province.
0: When it comes to the volunteer firefighters scenario, well, we've only got about a minute to, to tackle this. How many more do we need here in Hamilton?
4: So right now, uh, we'd like to get another 40 volunteer firefighters, and that's spread over 11 different stations. Uh, And and, uh, we're aggressively recruiting, uh, and we do it 12 months of the year. We actually are looking to uh, bring on uh, a new class of recruits uh, early in 2023. Uh, We've just uh, graduated a a group uh, of 15 uh, volunteer firefighters uh, three weeks ago.
0: Well, it sounds like, as you mentioned, the situation is much uh, better here in Hamilton, and we're thankful for that. Let's hope other communities across this country uh, follow Hamilton's lead and, uh, and do what we're doing here in town. Chief Cunliffe, thanks for the time today, and enjoy the rest of your day.
4: You're welcome, Brick. You too.
0: That is Hamilton Fire Chief Dave Cunliffe as the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs looking to, well, improve numbers in terms of the shortage of firefighters across the country, many of them in more rural settings.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: What is going on in Ontario's children's hospitals? Well, we, I think we know what's going on. There's a lot of chaos. It's in crisis mode. More and more children are being admitted to hospital with whether it's COVID or RSV or the flu or other uh, even more serious illnesses. And we have heard and we've done this on the show from time to time, have had McMaster Children's Hospital officials on the air um, highlighting the crisis that they're in, the overcapacity. This is not 101% or 102% of capacity. This is 130, 140, 150% capacity. So much so that kids are being moved from hospital to hospital because they don't have space for them. And so it's to no one's surprise that Ontario's opposition parties are saying, Hey, Premier Ford, what gives here? Where is the plan to help children's hospitals deal with a crush of patients? One of those individuals is our next guest, Mike Schreiner. He's the leader of the Ontario Green Party and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, good morning. How are you?
5: Good morning, Rick. Uh, doing fine this morning. How about yourself?
0: Not too bad. Have you uh, stumbled across Premier Ford's plan for children's hospitals? Where is this plan?
5: Yeah, I'm still looking for this plan, and it's just so frustrating. And I feel for parents whose children have been moved to other hospitals, and I especially feel for the frontline health care workers who are just scrambling and working in extremely challenging uh, situations to to care for our kids and for the health minister to have the audacity. uh, When asked about the fact that the Red Cross is being sent into the Children's uh, Hospital of Eastern Ontario, uh, that, well, this was the plan all along. Well, my first response is, well, it must be a pretty bad plan. Uh, if our children's hospitals are, you know, just facing such tremendous stress, and that we have to bring the Red Cross in, uh, but to not even, you know, if that was your plan, to not share it with parents so they can plan properly, or to not share it with healthcare officials so they could plan properly, it just feels like a government that is just scrambling from crisis to crisis, and in the case of children's hospitals seems to be in denial of the fact that um we need more resources especially human resources uh, to care for our kids
0: sounds eerily similar to the non-existent plan when covid-19 struck and um seniors facilities were just uh, you know overwhelmed with healthcare workers in those settings because they couldn't keep up they were getting sick and there was really no plan uh, so much so that the military had to be brought in to take care of things. This seems like a government that just can't get things in order.
5: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the Auditor General just came out with a report and, you know, pointed, you know, like most Auditor General reports for any government, lots of criticisms. But the one that really struck out for me is that the Ford government has an extraordinarily inability to plan. And and I think some of it is is they don't want to spend the resources – uh, especially when it comes to our healthcare system. I mean, here we've had emergency rooms closing or being backed up all summer long. Uh, now we have children's pediatric ICUs uh, overflowing uh, to the point that the Red Cross is being uh, called into CHEO. And the government simply doesn't have a plan, and they underspent the health budget by $900 million, like their own health budget. And so, you know, We've been calling for the government to, first of all, let, let's have a plan and let's be transparent with people and healthcare providers about what the plan is so people can plan and respond accordingly. But secondly, let's actually make the investments we need in our healthcare system to provide the care that people need and you know, one of the reasons we're experiencing uh, a health human resource crisis is the government's own actions with Bill One Twenty Four, which caps wages and benefits at one percent, which has driven many nurses and other frontline healthcare um, workers out, out of the profession. Many have retired early, or simply left left the profession, or gone into private agency nursing and reduced the hours they're putting into it. And you know. The government has literally just lost um, a court challenge against that bill, and the premier said they're planning on appealing it. Well, I would say don't appeal it. Actually pay frontline healthcare workers fair wages, offer them fair benefits, and fast-track the hiring of internationally trained uh frontline healthcare workers who are already in the province so we can start getting the staffing we need to improve working conditions and care for patients.
0: Got a couple more minutes with Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900-CHML. You mentioned Bill 124, and yes, the province is appealing that uh, court ruling that basically declared the bill unconstitutional. Uh, you know, the province doubling down and appealing that ruling, you know, using taxpayers' money basically to do that, even though the government said that this was only, you know, a temporary bill. And then, you know, after weathering the storm, so to speak, it would it would be, uh, I guess, you know, kiboshed, abolished, whatever the case is. Uh, but the double down and appeal seems to be, I, I don't know, two, two wrongs not making it right.
5: Well, just a further slap in the face to nurses and frontline healthcare workers who are feeling disrespected uh, undervalued, overworked. Uh, I mean, it, COVID has been tough. Eh? It's been tough on all of us, but it's really been tough on frontline healthcare workers. And so for the government to appeal Bill 124 uh, is just uh, a slap in the face, adding insult to injury to those workers at a time when we have a health human resource capacity crisis. So let's pay nurses and frontline healthcare workers fair wages, fair benefits. And let's make the hires we need to improve their working conditions, because that's going to improve the care that we all receive in our healthcare system. Uh,
0: we also heard the other day from uh, Federal Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos, who said that Ottawa recently gave provinces an additional two billion dollars uh, for you know hospitals who are facing these unprecedented challenges. Where is that
5: money? Yeah, that's a real good question, Rick. And you know, one of the things I would say uh, to the government is is we absolutely need the federal government to step up, provide more uh, health care funding to the provinces. But in the case of Ontario, if you're not even going to spend the money, then it's pretty hard to make a case to Ottawa that you need more money. And so I would say to the Ford government, you know, invest appropriately in our health care system. And then when you budget that money, actually spend it. Think about it. They've underspent the health care, their health care budget by nine hundred million dollars at a time when our emergency rooms or pediatric icus are in crisis
0: it's a mind-boggling situation that is for sure mike thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts on it and enjoy your day
5: yeah you take care now
0: that's mike schreiner leader of the green party of ontario
1: you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: it is the giving season the holiday season is here if you have Kids at home or grandkids or a close friend or your spouse, significant other that you're thinking, what should I get this person? You know, we, we have everything. We don't need an item, another tchotchke on the shelf. Why not give an experience? And considering what we've been through over the last, you know, almost three years now, why not give the experience the gift of health, beauty, beauty? And relaxation. Doesn't that sound nice? Adria Robichaud is the owner and director of Joie Day Spa here in Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Adria, good morning. How are you today?
6: Good morning. How are you? I'm great.
0: I'm good. How are things at Joie Day Spa these days? Busy. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, a very busy time of year for everybody.
0: The gift of relaxation, you know, it's not typically, at least not in my world, a, a thought we're thinking about. At least I am giving something, uh, someone something that they can hold in their hand. Mm-hmm. Talk about the gift of going to the spa.
6: You know, it's a really stressful time for a lot of people, especially at this time of the year. And it's definitely a busy time for everybody. So giving the gift of relaxation and just getting back to square one, you know, um, thinking a little bit about yourself and, and trying to get back to a nice, happy place. (laughs) is really important because, you know, we're going, going, going. And if you don't take a breath and just relax and um, enjoy the day a little bit, uh, you're going to burn out. And a lot of people are starting to realize that so we've been so busy because especially in the last 2 years you know we've we've all been through it um people have been going to the spa more and more often than they ever have we've had a lot of people say this is my first facial i've ever had this is my first experience and they always leave 100% rejuvenated feeling great so, you know, we love our job because we see them come in stress and they leave feeling like they're on a cloud.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are, for, for someone who's never purchased a spa package or a service or, or who have never been to a spa, what are some of the options that they would have in purchasing a relaxation gift for a loved one?
6: That's a great question. So, you know, you can you can start small. Um, a facial is always, in my opinion, the best way to, to start something or or a massage only because you're getting two things you're getting first of all uh great education on your skin but you're also leaving looking glowing and beautiful but you've also had the gift of touch so complete relaxation and just feeling like you're in that zen spot um if you're if you're not big on facials or you're a little bit concerned about someone touching your face a massage is always i mean who doesn't love a massage so that's something that's great but when you're giving the gift to say your wife or your coworker or someone that you really want to say, you mean a lot to me, or you've done so much for me this year, or you really need this, you're a great person, a lot of people will buy a spa package because they don't have to think. They just go to the spa, and we take care of everything else. <laughs> we throw a robe on them, we put some slippers on them, have a little tea in their hands, and they just walk around the spa for about four hours and enjoy, you know, a massage, a facial, uh, get their nails done, go to the, the steaming sauna, have a little lunch, We're fully licensed, so you can get a martini while you get your nails done. You know, we take care of you. So a lot of people do like a package where they don't have to think about it. We do all the work for them.
0: Got about 30 seconds. We should say that men could take advantage of this, not only for their significant other, but for themselves as well.
6: Absolutely. A lot of men come into the spa nowadays. Yeah, they they realize the importance of self-care.
0: Adrienne, really appreciate the time. Best of luck this holiday season.
6: Thank you so much. You take care.
0: That's Adrienne Adri Robichaud, owner and director of Joie Day Spa. Find them online at joiedayspa.ca. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Located at 374 King Street East. day at the spa. That sounds nice.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From 900 CHML.
0: Well, a professional women's soccer league is coming to Canada. The eight team league is expected to begin in 2025. We already know that Vancouver and Calgary will be home to a pair of teams, and the six other cities should be announced next year. Former member of the Canadian Women's National Soccer Team, Diana Matheson, is launching the league with her business partner under the banner Project 8 Sports. It'll be led by other former national team members such as Christine Sinclair and Stephanie LeBay. Sports management professor Anne Peguerero says you need this star power when going out and looking for sponsors. Proven star power, right? Both of them have succeeded at a high level and they're going to bring that to the business side of this as well. And she says it's a great time to launch something like this. Because men's sport... Because while it's a large, large entity, it's plateaued in terms of its return on investment. The upside is going to come through women's professional sports. Now the hope is to change the soccer landscape in Canada so women can develop and play professionally here instead of going abroad. Matt Carty, Global News. Sounds exciting. Let's bring in our local soccer pundit and super soccer fan, Gary Monroe, to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Gary, good morning. How are you?
7: Well, Rick, thank you for having me.
0: Hey, thanks for coming on. Your thoughts on this pro-women's soccer league here in Canada?
7: Well, I think like everybody else, it's uh, they should be buzzing, they should be excited. Um, who's kidding who? This is long overdue. Uh, of course, uh, these past 48 hours listening to Diana Matheson and Christine Sinclair, uh, as you pointed out, have, who have been spearheading this, um, had said this, they thought this might have happened after our bronze medal performance in london in 2012 so here we are a decade later hmm. and of course uh, finally uh, doors are opening you know it's been a hectic past couple years uh, not much has gotten done i would assume but uh, listen it's great for all those young girls out there their heroes um are going to be playing here in canada and of course uh, even the girls today in high school have an opportunity to look forward and uh, you know, play in Canada uh, as a livelihood, a professional league here. It seemed to be uh, uh, that it worked to the NWSL. It took a little while to gain some momentum. But, uh, I mean, it's just it, it's fantastic news for soccer fans in general, let alone these young female soccer players that can look forward.
0: One of the first things I thought about was that, yeah, it's too bad this didn't happen 10 even 5 years ago with sure. all the momentum of you know the the medals the world cup appearance um yep. And, you know, not having the pleasure of seeing, uh, you know, a, a superstar like Christine Sinclair play at home other than wearing the Canadian national team jersey uh, if she played, you know, with Vancouver at the club le- level or, or maybe here in Hamilton if they're going to get a team. I yeah. know there's going to be other stars that are going to come up, you know, the pipeline, which is what this league is going to be all about, but it's just too bad that we didn't have this a while ago.
7: Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, just think of the uh, the ground we would have made already, as you said, even as recent as five years ago, but uh, ten years ago, I mean, uh, how established it would be right now, uh, the rivalries that would be set right now, I mean, the business model one could look at would be our, our very own CPL, the Canadian Premier League, launched in 2018, began 2019, and of course, we're lucky enough to be spoiled with our very own Hamilton Forge FC, who are uh, literally after four years uh, almost a dynasty. So that same thing could very well happen uh, as close as uh, down the road at Tim Hortons Field for us, for the ladies, and uh, you know a stadium filled with uh, young football fans.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Gary Monroe, Hamilton-based soccer pundit, super soccer fan, and I'm sure is enjoying the World Cup, and if we have some time at the end of this segment, I'll I'll pick your brain about that. But I want to get to the biggest challenge for this pro-women's soccer league, which again, is not going to kick off until sure. 2025, it's got three years, yep. but it's it's obviously money. It's it's the major sponsors that are needed.
7: Yeah, it's G- always money.
0: Yeah, given what the, the national team has accomplished and what we're seeing now from the men's side, is there more? Of an appetite for major sponsors to come to the table to support a league like this? Yeah, I don't
7: see why not whatsoever. Uh, in in uh, you know, listening to uh, that interview that uh, from Global, the men's the men's uh, return on investment kind of plateauing. You know, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe it did the day before that interview was done, but the ladies' game, of course, Canada uh, compared to the men's national team. I mean, we're always there. We're always at those Olympics. We're in the battle for the World Cup, and we go deep in these tournaments. With the men, listen, Canada, we were just at the party and, uh, you know, I thought we did very well. But the major sponsorship is huge, of course. Uh, We're very thankful, of course, uh, in the soccer community with Air Canada and CIBC already being on board. Now, that being said, you would think a lot of... uh, maybe smaller corporations might jump on board and be like, well, listen, these guys, they don't do anything without the plan of making money. So maybe we can jump aboard as well. And of course, Diana Matheson had a great interview yesterday. Um, you know, it's a women's league built by women for women. And, uh, to try to get some, uh, some female ownership or female group ownership, uh, is the plan. And, and I, I I think it's fantastic. I think the doors will open. And, of course, we're still three years away, Rick. So anything could happen. Anybody could jump on board at the last minute or right at the get-go. So it depends on the, the business plan that, uh, you know, Banner Matheson, Christine Sinclair, and, and all their star power friends that they bring on board to promote the game in Canada. I think it's a, a win-win, and I really believe that uh, this league will thrive and it will come out the gates early.
0: It should be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, It's going to be exciting on the pitch when they do kick off in three years' time. Gary, appreciate your time. Uh, We're out of time, so we'll we'll let you go, and we uh, invite you to come back on the show and have a great day.
7: You too. Thanks for having me.
0: That's Gary Monroe, Hamilton-based soccer pundit, a super soccer fan. One thing that I think this league should probably look at, if they haven't already done so, is the success of the Canadian Premier League and the franchises that are already in place. They already have roots In the ground in those communities, like here in Hamilton, uh, like in the GTA, in Vancouver, in Calgary, in Winnipeg, uh, start with those ownership groups to say, and maybe they've already had this discussion, hey, we'd like to start a women's soccer league, would you like to support? Can we base these women's teams in the same venues and cities as the CPL